bringing their problems to me for as long as I can remember. I have one of those faces that just says, tell me what's going on. And now I have one of those podcasts that says, go ahead, tell me what's going on. Welcome to Mess in Progress. Hi, everybody. And welcome to Mess in Progress with myself, Gina Brion, and my lovely co-host slash everything person, Catherine G. Mendoza. Catherine, say hi to the people. Hi to the people. Oh, that's your, are you doing your sultry voice? Hi to the people. Well, why does my sultry voice sound a little bit like, like um, baritone, but not sexy. It's very like, hi to the people. Sounds like you're sick. Like you got a chest cold. Yeah. Well, I mean, I am technically sick. I got my first COVID vaccine. My santo. And it hit me. It hit me. It hit me. Yeah. A lot of people get it after the second one I hear. For the me, second one my parents said was not that bad. I mean, the second one for me wasn't that bad, but that first one, I'm not going to lie. Yo, that, that, it, it came for that me. That first one will put you on your nalgas. No, it came for me with the two. What, what is it? Um, do you know um, Shrick? He's a comic. He does like voiceovers on Instagram. Tony. Tony what? Baker. Tony Baker. Yes, mm-hmm. I love his stuff. And he always does with cats. Yeah. He'll be like, it gave me the skibbity pap. Yeah, <laughs> it hit you with the skibbity pap. <laughs> it hit me with skibbity pap. Yeah. So in honor of Tony Baker, the COVID shot, skibbity pap. Skibbity pap, my girl. She was knocked easy. Yeah. Done. Donezo. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I feel it. I feel it. When I got my first shot, I was the same way. Like, I'm normally tired. I exist in a world of tired. I'm never not tired. But this kind of tired was like, a, I can't keep my damn eyes open. Like, I was like, I can't. No amount of coffee will help this. Yes. And you know what's the irony about this? So yesterday after, you warned me. You warned me, but I don't listen to nobody. You do not. And I still went to, to the mobile store to get like my, I needed to update my phone, this whole thing. And I was there and I and it took five hours because mm-hmm. my thing wouldn't update. And the gentleman who was helping me literally sees me like, kind of like hung over on the, on the, you know, like the, the, counter mm-hmm. he's like are you good and i was like i took the COVID shot <laughs> he was like damn and i was like i'm good he was like you glistening and i was like i'm a little sweaty <laughs> <laughs> i'm a little sweaty Catherine just told him she's patient zero <laughs> i told him i was joking i was like dude uh if i turn into a zombie kill me <laughs> yeah kill me if i turn into a zombie but like snap some pictures first (laughs) so that everybody knows i was a zombie because i don't want to die and then they don't know i was zombified i would get i would turn into a patient like the first zombie ever at a t-mobile store (laughs) selfie you'd be the first zombie to ever take a selfie like oh i gotta document this click click brains everybody say brains (laughs) that was how i felt like I mean, I don't really take a lot of vaccines. I'm not anti-vaccine. I just, I react to vaccine, yeah. right? So I did take the flu shot last year, but I hadn't taken it for a few years. And last year, the flu shot did the same thing to me. Like, knocked my butt out. It just, my immune system is always hanging on a thread. Like, <laughs> I can't tell you have a bad one or a good one. I have like, my immune system is like chubby. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's BMI is right wow. on the I like this. Wow. Your immune system is also eligible for the COVID shot based on its BMI. A hundred percent. My immune system cannot run four flights of steps like on its 
<laughs> your immune system is like Rocky in every fight that he has where he almost dies, but then somehow at the end still wins the fight, even though he's like half on his deathbed. Yes. Like, yeah. Yes. yes. My immune system is that like, uh, you know, when people look at somebody and they go, they're not um, a big person, but they look like they eat. If my immune system was a person, You're that's so what stupid. <laughs> Why are you fat shaming your immune system right now? I'm not. I'm chubby describing. You're chubby describing. I'm chubby supportive. I am pro okay. chubby. I'm pro immune system chubby. Pro. Well, I'm glad that you uh, decided to do the podcast today, even though I know you're half dead on the inside. But yeah. so are all of us. Yeah. <laughs> We're all a little dead on the inside, guys. <laughs> oh, help. Um, we have <laughs> we actually have a guest today, but uh, so I want to before we bring our guests on, I wanted to jump into all the AGT stuff that I can now um kind of talk about, even though America's still... got talent. Let them know what it is. America's got talent. Um, I was on America's Got Talent on Tuesday, June 8th. Um and uh, now I can kind of talk about the experience because it's like very hush hush beforehand. And no, I do not know what's happening now. So this is it's like everybody's like, well, what's going to happen next? When are you going to next be on the show? And I can 100 percent tell you, I don't know yet. Um, everything is very like suspenseful and kind of like everything's kind of all over the place because there's still COVID regulations and there's still like all this stuff that they're trying to figure out in terms of production. But what can I what I can talk about is what the experience was like. Tell us, tell us. We need to know. <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know what the experience of America's Got Talent was like. Well, um, it was 100% nerve wracking. It's like the biggest thing, even during like the sound check, like we did the sound check like the night before and you're standing on the stage and you're looking out at the, um, at the audience and you're looking out at the judges table and the judges aren't there, but their little like name plates are for, for you to know like who's where. And I just, I was like, oh my God, I'm here. Yeah. Like I'm on this state. Like it was, it was such an unbelievable feeling because I was like, this is, you know, the only other way I can describe it is the only other time I had that feeling was just before we filmed The Floor is Lava, right? Mm. The first rehearsal I did at um, El Museo del Barrio, I did it um, when I got there. First of all, I had been listening to Jesse Reyes, great one, the whole way there. And that song always puts me in my feels. Um, just about discovering your inner greatness and accepting your inner greatness and everything. And just everything she talks about in that song is amazing. And it always gives me that bad bitch feeling, like where I'm like, ooh, ooh. Shout when out to Jesse Reyes. We want her to be a fan. I mean, we want her to come on the show one yes, day. Yes, shout out to her because her music, whoo, her music, her energy, everything is dope. And so I was listening to um, Jesse Reyes, great one. And I just remember being on that stage, looking out and being like, this is really happening. Like having that same moment of like, wow, like, like I did this. But you know like, what's so interesting? Cause I, 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 I'm gonna ask you, you know, that's not the first stage you've ever been on the no. AGT, right? You have three other specials that you've been on stages. You know, I believe Pacifically Speaking was more intimate. Yeah, um, it was a little more intimate. It was it was still on a pretty uh, big It was filmed at Levity Live in West Nyack. And um, and it was my first little baby. So that one brings up the feels for different reasons. You know what I mean? Right. But this is we're talking now stadium level. Yeah. I mean, not stadium, um, auditorium. auditorium. Yes, auditorium-like. And 
that's where I understand why the floor is lava is equivalent in that sense. But it's diff. I, I, I love that about like your persona and who you are as a human being that like, and to anybody who doesn't know Gina, if you haven't already gotten like the gist, humble is just who she will always be. And so to me, I'm like, the girl has had her other specials, but she still walks in there like a 17 year old comic. You yep. know what I mean? It was like, this is the first time. And I know it's gratefulness when you were looking yes. at that audience and all of that. 100%, that's what it is. It's just... But that's also a learned behavior because I never really before in my career started taking the time to appreciate the moment and to be in that moment and to let myself have that moment of being proud of myself for the work that I did to get me there. And I think I had that moment standing on that stage, just looking out there and being like, this is like epic. And I think part of the fearlessness that comes into a lot of stand-up comedy is that we don't think about the epicness of the moment that we're dealing with. We look at it all as work. So when I'm shooting a special, it's work. But when I watch the special, now it's a moment for me. I get that. I think I get that. The best creatives understand that to any level, right? Like I, I, my, my biggest projects that I would be whatever my, my new equivalent to this in the moment of directing them or producing them, sometimes I even look back and I go, damn, did I actually enjoy that moment? Did I fully enjoy it? Did I taste everything? Because I was so focused on it needs to work, it needs to do. Yes. And then later you get to enjoy it. I would ask you this, because you have the floor is lava, because you have all these other things. Do you think that allowed you to enjoy this one? Even though, you, like you said, you have the, the I'm working, and I watch it later and I, you know, you were on the live and we all got to like have the moment with you. But do you think you have gotten to a place where you get to enjoy it a little bit more in the moment? Like really yeah. live in it, savor it. That's I think big. so, yeah. That's big. Yeah, I think looking back and, and really realizing, and it's part of the pep talk that I had to give myself before stepping on the stage was like, you have specials on HBO. You have your own hour specials. Like, like, this is what you do. Like, this is what you do. This isn't like just something you're trying out. Like you're taking a chance on yourself. Yes. But you've also have the work to prove that you belong at this level where it's like, I, I belong at this level. And sometimes I think we forget to tell ourselves that like as creatives, like we just forget to be like, I know I belong at the table as well. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and what's funny is also the fact that there's the level of like, fighting off the imposter syndrome, I'm sure, because that's 100%. But then at the same time, never being too, because I think this could happen too, when people are too cocky, where people go, and you're not like this. I'm just saying in general, somebody, your whole, you were fighting imposter syndrome. I've had this special. I've had that special. That was your imposter syndrome, where somebody else could have been like, I don't need AGT because I've had yeah, this yeah. Special, Right? Like you still, that's gratitude. You still had the gratitude for, Whatever this word would bring me, even if it's just another great experience, I'm happy to be here. Yeah. That's amazing. And that showed in your performance. Like I told you, me and Simon, I would go find him if he would have said, uh-uh, I would have imagine, imagine I would have been in the wings, guys. I didn't get to go with her, but imagine <laughs> I would have been in the wings and he would have said that wrong. I would have came out. Like, you remember um, in Apollo, 
the the hilarious the, the salmon yeah that or in chacal in, in Salvador he got it that would have been me I would have came out like yo I was here's what I was nervous about because I wasn't nervous about my performance because I'm a professional. I know what I'm doing. So I wasn't nervous about the performance. What I was nervous about, what, what, what I was dealing with the fear of was that I wasn't afraid I was going to do bad. I was afraid I wasn't going to do good enough. I was afraid that I would do really well and they would still tell me you did a really great job, but you're just not right for the show. And that I was more afraid of then I didn't think it was going to be an epic fail. I was like, epic failure is not that not possible. At you know, it's like um, a surgeon that's been doing surgery for X amount of years. You're like, epic failure, unless there's some sort of fluke. You are so used to the system and you're so used to doing this that you you're going to be on point. You right. know what I mean? So I was like, I don't think epic failure is is going to happen. Right. I said at the most, maybe Heidi won't laugh. Maybe Simon will say something mean. But I also work in the world of comedy where mean things are, are said all the time. Right. I've been a public figure for a few years now. And it's just like, once you're a public figure, and that does not mean I didn't say famous, tap, 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 tap. Oh. I did not say famous. I am a public figure. Yeah, you're recognizable. That means people can access me online. They can hit me up. They can watch my stuff. And so I've been dealing with hate for a really long time. So even Simon's negative comments, I was like, he's not going to say anything I haven't already heard from somebody in a comedy club to my face before. You know what I mean? Right. So even that didn't scare me so much. It was the the fear of not being good enough that I was nervous about. I, I get that because, you know, shows like that one in particular, um the most not negative that's not the word but the 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 worst comment that could happen if it were to come it's um you're amazing but you're not right for this show because we don't know how you are going to hold up every um every a week mm-hmm. with the counterparts that you're going up against once we hit the live shows exactly. right that's not about your work that's about understanding the format of that show yep Right. It, it is that show in particular is not like American Idol. It's not like these other ones where what you're going against is people with your same talent in their version. You're going up against all different types of talents and skills. So that's why I understand that it's not. And I, I would even I would even implore you to realize it was I, I hear you say not good enough. That's not even the wording that I think you're trying to say. I think you're trying to say um, not the right. Yes. That's what you were worried that yes. you would hear you're amazing, but you're not the right fit. Yep. And that's normal. That's normal. That's trauma right? from my single life. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, all, ty- all types of like even work life when people yeah. say you're qualified or you're just not. But I still want the job, bro. <laughs> I, right. I still think I could bring something to it. So that's why watching it like as as because here's the thing. I may know you and we may be as close as we are. That doesn't change fan. Yeah. You know, it also, it also doesn't change the fact that I know your sets. Like, I know, but I, I also... Seen everything pretty much. I, I also, like, love, though, when I see you work sets and change things and flip things around. So when I see your new transitions, I'm like, oh, I see what Here's how doing. much Catherine pays attention to what I do on stage. We were at a show one time. I remember, you, you're going to remember this show. We were at a show in the Bronx. 
And I got off stage and she said to me, how come you worded that joke differently than when you normally do it on stage? And I was like, oh, because I honestly was afraid they might not know what I was talking about. Right. Like I didn't, I I looked at the crowd and I was like, I don't know if they're going to understand what I'm talking about if I don't use the proper verbiage. And that's not an insult to them. It's about what, where their interests lie, what's important to them and the vernacular they use to communicate. And I was like, if I'm aware enough to know, because we were in like my neighborhood, essentially, like the part of the Bronx that I grew up in. And I was like, oh, this don't mean none of these people. Like, I know the struggles they're dealing with. I know the problems they're dealing with. So I, but it was so funny because I was like, damn, Catherine really caught me just changing a word or two here or there. And um, I was like, damn, she really does pay attention. And the reason is because you've taught me so much, just watching you, right? You've taught me so much about um, vocabulary and the nuance of understanding your audience and catering to that audience crowd work what that looks like and what that means. Me, myself, is not a comic, but I believe that I understand comedy. One thing that that has helped me in, in conversations and networking and stuff like that, where it's like, I guess some people do that naturally. Other people uh, don't do it at all. And then some people know how to put it in their craft and you do it so well. And I also love how, like, when I was watching it, one thing I thought of was you... Some of those jokes are, are um, they're, they're, they're tried and trues. They've been with you mm-hmm. for a while, but you still tell it the same way that I, I feel like I receive it. I've heard it so many times. Why do I laugh? Because every single time you're still enjoying the moment I believe you first found the joke or the joke found you. Yes. When you first heard that joke, you laughed at it. You say, yo, that's good. I'm gonna write it down. Every time you tell it, you say it as if I just found this joke. So to me, that's what makes me laugh about the performance. Cause I'm like, she still finds it funny. She Which is why when people funny. ask me stuff, like people are like, oh, um, why do you think a comic has never won AGT? And I'm gonna tell you something that an executive told me, a brilliant executive, um, shout out to my home girl, Maureen. Maureen, a, a, just a brilliant executive, she had told me, she said, the reason why a comedian will probably never win America's Got Talent, and this is the thought I'm trying to prove wrong, everybody, so you better vote for your girl, <laughs> is because a skilled comedian makes it look effortless. We make it look like it is absolutely just me walking on stage, having a conversation with you, and then walking off stage, which when you're up against acrobats and singers and dog trainers and dancers, magicians, all these people who legitimately look um, and are physically exerting themselves more, um, it just, you equate that with, oh, that's way harder than stand-up comedy because you don't understand all of the behind the scenes work that goes into. And when you describe comedy, I feel like people don't fully even grasp that where it's like, I am bringing a room of strangers together with my sense of humor and stories from my point of view in my life. And I'm like, if people really realized like, that that is such a crazy thing to do is to get strangers to look and agree and laugh. 
Well, we can all understand, like for instance, the, the magician that auditioned in the same uh, mm -hmm. uh, episode as you, we can all agree, uh, wow, that's amazing. Like we can all, what she's saying is that somebody who wins is, I could never do that. Give them their roses. That's that, right? Where comedians, um, great comedians, she's right. Do make it seem so simple. And there's so many people who be like, I could do that. I was funny. No, 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 you probably are funny, but there's storytelling, there's relatability, there's keeping your attention, there's making you feel like I, I, I know you somehow, mm -hmm. or you know me, even if you don't know me. What I will say from the seasons that I have watched, and this, I no particular comic that I'm gonna comment on because I don't remember any of them particularly, but I will say, that the thing with comics though is, and this is what I loved about their comment about you. You made it seem as if it was just a conversation between you and, and the audience. Yeah. And I think that's where um, comedy, stand-up comedy, one woman shows, those things live among similar like planes. You're, you, I've seen you tell jokes. Yeah. And then I've seen you tell stories. There's a marriage that I believe over the last few years that I've known you, you're really getting, like you're honing that skill. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, thank you. if you want to do hosting, you ho if you do a hosting gig, usually you're joking. Like you're, yeah. you're, you're crowd working, you're doing that. You might tell a joke here and it's bing, bang, boom. But when it's time for Gina time, you're going to get a little bit of the story she might tell us if she was standing in front of the block mm -hmm. with the skill she would do if she was giving you the the threes. You know what I mean? Like the, the joke, joke, joke. You're, yeah. I, I feel like that's what they, that's why nobody's won. Because that marriage has not been presented so much so that the audience don't even realize it, that it's like... I just want to know this person. Like, I just want to know this. I just want to know more about you. I want to know you. My friend says something about you. Um, uh, uh, when I first when, when I first told her that we knew each other years ago, she said, um, and I said, oh, because my friend Gina, she's a comic. I didn't say Gina Brion. I said Gina. She goes, Gina Brion? And I go, yeah. She was like, oh, my God, yo, my sisters and me saw her special. This is specifically speaking. Oh. Um it was like over Christmas, that Christmas, right? Mm -hmm. And she goes, y'all, and she's from the West Coast. She was <clears> like, oh, like my sisters, I noticed because my sisters who are probably like in their like mid forties or whatever go, yo, what I really like about her, she just seems like she could come chill at the kickback with us. She just seems like one of us. That's the thing. Yeah. That's where it's like, they're Mexican American. Your comedy, yes, you may speak about being Puerto Rican or blah blah blah, but your human, your your human aspect of it connects. And once you've got them, if anything, it's like they don't even see what's coming. Like, does that make sense? So yeah. that's where, I'm not gonna lie, I cry because I know you, but I also it was like um that skill that you're talking about, you deserve that platform mostly because I think people have this idea of what one comic should look like, mm -hmm. and you're almost changing that in itself you know so it's exciting america's gina's talent <laughs> america gina's talent damn 
name change. Hey, 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 hey. Um, yeah, no, I'm but I told you. It was amazing. And clearly Simon wants to be my boo. Um, he was so excited when he, he said, because I'm her boo. I've always wanted to be a boo. Like that's the part that got me. He was like, I always wanted to be a boo, and I'm like, well, here's your shot. I already talked to my husband. I was like, look, you gonna be my main boo. Simon will be my side boo. Like we just keep it like that. Like it's it's. I'm doing this for the family. I'm doing this for the culture. I'm doing this for us. For us. Just let me live. Family. It's for the family. That's when my husband's my ride or die because he was like, I feel it, I feel it. And in white boy speak, he didn't say I feel it. He's <laughs> imagine he's like, I feel it though. I feel it. One of these days, yo, one of these days, give it. I'm gonna give y'all 10 years of marriage, and he could come up and be like, Yo, I feel it, my man. I feel it. <laughs> my guy. Before my husband started like, going, my guy. You know what? I'm gonna give him respect for that. I'll be like, you earned that, I feel it. <laughs> you earned it. You earned it. You earned it. You had anything to do with the intro video, but the video. Oh, I obviously, I mean, they took a lot of footage of like, you know, me and just, uh, you know, everything. And I didn't know what was going to make it where I was like, okay, well, I don't really know where any of this is going to live. But when I saw the finished product, blubbering, I I know. (laughs) She hasn't even started. When I started blubbering was when they showed my son. I'm not even going to lie to you. I was on a live. I was on an Instagram live. um, And I just immediately, when I saw my son and the pictures of my son, I was like, I couldn't help it. Like it just, because even motherhood's one of those, um, one of those things where I was like, not, I haven't really like gotten sat in it and been like I'm a mom now <laughs> I just said I didn't realize I was a mom until now um I know everybody's a comment on that I'm like um interesting she wakes up every day with this yeah child. every day with that child it's just another job until I see him on tv and then I'm like oh my god yes I'm actually a mom that's um and that's my baby that's so oh funny. our guest just got here oh okay our guest is here okay let me do a quick introduction before we let our guests in Okay, our guest is executive director of the National Association of Latino Independent Producers, also known as NALIP. So let's bring our lovely guest, Ben Lopez, on. We need, like, intro music. Ladies and gentlemen, Ben Lopez, 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 Lopez. We have no, we have no special effects yet. Guys, we need that. We're going to get an iPad one day and have all our... All our little sound effects. We're working on this, and he's connecting. So that's what we're, we're stalling right now. We're stalling because he's connecting. And yes, although I wake up every day with my son right there in his crib, it wasn't until I saw him on TV that I was like, oh my God, yes, I'm a mom. It still feels very surreal. Like, oh my God, that's every day of my life now. Yes, is with that child. Yeah, no, I know that that you're talking about the iPhone stuff. when you're, you're Yes, like, oh. when I saw him on the iPhone and then they showed pictures of him and they showed pictures of my family. And I was just like, <laughs> so blubber. I know. I, I feel you. Like when I watched it again, it was weird. I almost felt like I didn't know you. I just like, I was like, Funny. where this girl is. I like her. Well, welcome Ben. I know you're here. You're on your, uh, you're on mute, but you are uh, welcome to the show. 
welcome to Mess in Progress, uh, where we have already done a mini intro and we'll get to know you. <gasps> hey, Ben. Hey, guys. How are you? Hey, good. How are you? I have phones to work on this. Oh, you got that. Oh, you got the fancy ones. Look at me in my bootleg 99 cents. Uh, I literally bought these at the dollar store, y'all. I respect it. I got them uh, in that alley, too. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, me and Ben. Dollar store balling. Dollar store balling. We know how to save. We know how to save. We do. Thank you so much for coming on the show with us today. Um, uh, Ben, do you know Catherine? This is Catherine, my co-host. Hi, Ben. Nice to ben, Ben, Catherine. Um, you are now the executive director of the uh, National Association of the Latino Independent Producers, also known as NALIP. So welcome to the show, Ben. We have a couple of questions for you. We like to do rapid fire questions from the start. So we'll throw three questions at you. You give us some sure. answers and then we'll lean into some of the other stuff. Uh, Catherine, you want to start with the ra- rapid fire questions? Sure. Um, okay. So the first one is, where are you from? The second one is, what is your zodiac sign? And the third one, if you could choose one final meal, what would it be? Ooh, okay. Uh, where am I from? I was born in Mexico City, but I grew up in uh, uh, Sonora, Guaymas, and Arizona, Tucson. So where I'm really from, Tucson, that's kind of like where what I claim. Zodiac okay. sign, I'm a Virgo. And uh, favorite food uh, is definitely uh, sushi. I, I just love that. Okay. But by a very close second, anything relating to Sonoran food, like Sonoran hot dogs, carne asada, tortilla de harina, all of that stuff. Bro, I'm hungry. You need to stop talking. Oh, yeah. all that stuff. You said carne asada. I was like, mm. yeah, my favorite. <laughs> I, I can have it almost every day, but I'm not supposed to because cholesterol and all yeah, that. Yeah, no, we're like, eh, cholesterol. I mean, come on. You know? I mean, the large is what makes it taste good. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I need the and fat. To diabetics, like that, there you go. Now you guys know why. <laughs> no, I totally get it. You gotta watch your son. Son. You gotta watch that son. But on the Virgo side, they say that we're highly organized. We don't know. We'll see. We'll mm-hmm. find out, right? All the Virgos I know are they, they do fit that bill. They do fit that highly organized, very like borderline genius level smart too. Like a lot of my Virgo friends are like. I'd be like, dang, y'all be reading. Well, Vir- um, Virgos are um, the, uh, ruled by Mercury, which is a communication sign. So that's where all of your intellect is. It's in the mind and you're just very detail oriented. It's about the, like I always like to say, you're very particular and understanding that it's not about being bossy. It's right. just like, I know what it is and trust, trust me because right. I've got us. My yeah. sister's a Virgo, so I know. So it kind of comes in handy with the work. But you know, it's funny. I started out very uh, behind the scenes. I, I always did my work, my best work behind the scenes. But later on, as I started doing more, to be honest, like, I don't know, two years ago, three years ago, I don't think I would have done the, not because I don't want to do the podcast, but I would have been a little shy, like a little bit more like mm. I could talk to you guys one-on-one and then we can talk. But now I'm starting to be a little bit more comfortable because you just got to let it go. You just got, you know, open up and everything. So it, it's important. Yeah. So I, I was on the borderline of, I can, when people get to know me the best, it's on a personal level because that's where I blossom. But now from facing, I'm starting to like relax and be like, just talk to them the way you try, you know, talk to people one-on-one. So there you go. Yeah, Yeah. see, that's perfect. I think that's so, and it's so good that you do that, that you kind of put yourself through that. Like you put yourself to the test, you challenge yourself because a lot of people would just kind of stay in their comfort zone, but you don't seem like a person who's comfortable with comfort zones. (laughs) 
you seem no. like a very out of the box type person yeah we have to we have to in fact my entire life has been like i mean if you're a latino in this world you're gonna break out of the, like you have to um there's part of us that we kind of obviously the early stages of the i guess generation 1.5 when our parents you know had like five jobs working you know in my case my dad was a dishwasher a cook wow uh, doing tar on the roof of buildings. Uh, he did everything, like four or five jobs at the same time. And so when you live in that type of environment, you don't shy away from anything, um, you know, uh, because for him, he had to keep his head down, or at least he thought he had to keep his head down, right? And eventually he rose to the ranks to become kind of like a leader in the restaurant, right? But for me, it was like, F that. I'm like, that. I love you. I appreciate my background. I appreciate all of that. But honestly, I've seen, because I did every job, by the way, in a restaurant from busboy to like clean dishes. I maybe asked for corn, leaving cleaning corn, all that stuff. I did everything. I even ran a restaurant for a while because I was really good at it. And I decided, you know what? What is the top level that I can reach in this specific industry? Maybe own a bunch of restaurants and la la la. But it was not my thing, even though I'm a foodie, by the way, you can see it. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> but oh. here's the thing, though. I never felt that that's where I could really do my best work even though I was really good at it. So that's why I think there's the generations, right? You know, you get comfortable versus mm -hmm. you respect the past, you respect your nanas and the way they tell you, don't make noise, mijo, right? But I think at the end of the day, it's 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 just putting it out there, you know? Absolutely, 100%. Um, let's get into some of our questions here so um, the folks that are listening can get to know you a little bit more. You worked your way up in Nalip. You know, you started... Um, as a volunteering up and coming producer, essentially. And now you're the executive director. Can you tell us what that journey was like? Like, tell us about your journey from where you began to where you are now. Yeah, it's, it's, it was a very serendipitous type of journey for me. Um, you, you guys remember when you had to, I don't know if you did it in class or maybe a friend, you do a vision board. We cut out a bunch of magazines, poetry, things, drawings. I still have mine, by the way. I still have mine. And I think, I, I think I'm 16 years old in that thing with a, with a red hood, hoodie sweater. And I'm in like uh, the, the, the center of that picture. I'm in the Nino Ceres, uh monument in Mexico City, kind of representing, you know, like, yeah. yeah. For me, it was the intersection of the past, present, and future. And part of that vision board was to look at how do you disrupt, right? But I didn't know how. So my first way of thinking that I could achieve uh, leadership and try to help my community was through politics. Of all things, you guys are probably wondering, what? I thought you went to film school and all of that. I started with political science. And as a young kid, I was an activist. Uh, you know, I mean, I, in a weird way, I'm still an activist, if you think about it, because I'm doing advocacy, right? Um, mm -hmm. But I started out being part of a, uh, you guys probably have had a few machistas here, but I started with Mecha back in the day. I was I was leading all those, all those groups. I created a curriculum so kids could actually learn about their history and culture. And even as a 16 year old, I, I ran programs like that, that I would get people to stay in school so they could stay in school and be inspired by their past. So then very quickly through that period, I, I led kind of like a, 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 what do you want to call it? Like a moonlighting as a rapper. You wouldn't believe this. Rapper doing hip hop in Spanish, doing music videos. I was skating. I was doing all this crazy stuff at night. So during the day, I may have like a little bit, you know, ready for politics. But at night, I would wild out with music and artistry and all of that. And so for me, I was leading this weird double life. And on one, I thought, 
there's really no career path for this thing, right? For the ex cultural expression and, 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 and media and all of that, because I was in a very small backyard of Tucson, Arizona. I didn't have a lot of mentors. And on the other side, I felt, okay, what is it that I could do in Washington DC or move and maybe what, you know, where am I gonna go? So uh, just to kind of like give you that moment that changed my life was when I became volunteer at Nalip, they landed in my backyard in Tucson, Arizona. They set up a Latino producers academy and he made it easier for me to like, you know what, I'm gonna go check it out. I'm gonna see what they got going there. And I got to meet like the who's who of not only the producers, the directors, the writers, but I also got to meet the, uh, the, the ones that were coming up, like the, the like Benjamin Daniel Lobato, AKA Ben Lobato, who's the kosher runner of Queen of the South. But this is 20 years ago, 18 years ago, if you wanna say. So that second event that changed my life was, I decided it was kind of like my Oprah year of saying yes, let's, let's just say yes to anything, to everything that I thought it was right. So the second event was the Telluride Film Festival, which not a lot of people know about it. Don't worry about it. Even if you try to look it up, you might find the website. They don't have a social media account because they don't need to. They're one of the top film festivals in the world that hardly anybody knows about, FY. So I volunteered for that and I became part of the press desk. Between those twin, twin experiences, it changed my life. And that's where I knew this is how we can transform this is where I can do my best work. So I got into it as a producer. And eventually I volunteered for anything that Nalip wanted to do. They, they were like, hey, Ben, we have a Latino meeting market. I'm like, how does it work? It's 500 meetings. Back then it was 300, 300 meetings between content buyers, content sellers. And how does it work? In 48 hours, you got to speed date and bring all these people together. And I'm like, how long does it take to set up? About six months ahead of it. You got to read applications and evaluate. I'm like, I'm in, I want to learn about the business. During that time, I was already producing content. So for me, being around, like, I just wanted to eat, uh, to breathe the air that other people were breathing in that. I wanted to be a fly on the wall. So if there was an opportunity to come to LA, I would take it. And then suddenly, I don't know, in a very short period, I started getting opportunities such as, Ben, do you want to go to Japan and shoot the latest technology show, blah, blah, blah. And you can be an EHG, ENG, like electronic news gathering type of crew, and you can do it all, one person uh, producing crew. And I'm like, sign me up. So I learned how to work cameras, edit, all that. So pretty much anything during that period, I would take on. Ben, do you wanna go and produce a movie shooting in the middle of Texas and they're behind schedule, they're in trouble, they're over budget. Do you think you can save that movie? Because I acquired those skill set very quickly. And I'm like, sign me up, I'll go there like a mercenary, land like uh, you know Ar Arnold in that movie Predator with my mercenaries and we would save that movie. So over time, Nalib, I guess they like my work and they kept asking me back. They're like, Ben, why don't you come back and run uh, now the Producers Academy. Now I want you to run this other program. And I basically kept saying yes to the moment they were like, hey, it's 2014. We think you should be the projects director. You know, oh, you know, we think you're the right person for this opportunity. So I signed up and less than two years later, they asked me, look, there's an opportunity at the executive director level. Do you think you can take that on? And by this point, I was already you know, producing multiple things. I I, I was very much about to go into maybe on the private sector very quickly. And I had to make a choice. I had to make a choice whether I wanted to work on my own projects or lead this organization into where it needed to go. So I said yes, and obviously the rest is history. And I decided to, basically my one condition was, do I have an opportunity to innovate? And the answer was yes, so I, I signed up. And obviously you guys know the rest. <laughs> yeah. Wow. 
That's amazing. Cause like, it's so interesting listening to you talk about that journey and how you just told us a little while ago about your father, right? When you talk about the 1.5, similar in the sense of like, when you said your year of yes, um, it's the same thing. You got to make it happen no matter what that you guys have in common. You made it happen no matter what. The difference is when you said that um, you were, you were told, uh, put your head down for mm. you. It was, I'm not going to put my head down, but I am going to do my best, mm -hmm. but then ask for what I deserve when the time comes, right? Mm -hmm. Speaking up, but not speaking up just frivolously because it's going, you see what I can do. You see what I bring. You see what I offer and trust that I will offer more. So it's like you took what they did and then like built on it. Yeah. Yeah. You know value. That's the thing is that. It was very empowering to know the history of Latinos in this country. Like, honestly, I did a lot of classes for kids, right? So that taught me, you know, when you, when you learn the most when you're actually teaching. Yep. And when you're listening to younger generations, kind of like keeping, keeping you on your toes. So imagine my job was to talk to, this is because I did a lot of volunteer work, trying to talk to kids all over. I, I did work for Barrios Unidos. This is a long time ago. This is before Unidos U.S., it was called National Council of La Raza. I worked with an affiliate called Chicanos for La Causa. And my job was to try to keep kids off the streets from joining gangs. And, and, and if they did, how to get themselves out of the violence, the cycle of violence and all of that. I also ran a drug prevention program. So I did my work on the ground between 16 to 22 years old. I was very much embedded. But every single one of those classes, I would take, okay, let's talk about the journey of like, I would tell them about the journey of Aslan, right? Of like the people that eventually became the Aztecs. And I would tell them about, okay, let's talk about the Korean diaspora. Let's talk about 500 years of history. And every single time I felt, oh man, we need to disrupt this thing. Because what's happening after a while, I know it sounds cliche when people say decolonize your mind. You know how they say that? They're like, decolonize your mind. And people are like, oh, come on, Mechista, come on. What are you doing? I, all these activists. But I'm like, believe me, after a while, you start reading other texts. Obviously, I was reading both Cervantes, but I was also reading Shakespeare, but also was eating, uh, reading Sandra Cisneros and Octavio Paz. Like I was reading all of that and then I went all the way deep into my roots. So to be honest, that's what really made the difference for me. Pay respect to the past, honor your elders, make sure that you're activating this, this generation. Your, your current generation is usually the, the ones your peers are the hardest to get to because they are set on their way sometimes, right? And also inspire the next community. So I have this saying, pay it forward, pull up people up with you and let them help to innovate every work that you've done. So anyway, it sounds very positive and everything sounded like easier than done, but honestly, it was a struggle. I had to learn how this stuff works. Wow, no, wow. I mean, I think that like, when you said that, like, uh, um, that it's, it, 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 that's constantly being said, the decolonize your mind. Yes, it is become mm -hmm. a fucking word on social media, but right. where it comes from, where it actually comes from was really about educate yourself, understand exactly yeah. what you need. Like when you think of your identity, who you are and what you bring, you can't really know what you bring until you know who you are and where you're from. And so- you know, I love that you said you were reading both sides of the coin, because again, in order to also decolonize, you need to understand, That's you right. understand why it, and how it was colonized. So I really love that. Like, cause a lot of people think, no, I just need to cut this off and not know anything about it. Right. But when you look here, no, but I mean, that's how history repeats itself because yep. you ignored the things that 
we want to avoid moving forward. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, I, you know, I, I, keeping on theme with Nalib, uh, one thing that we know was like, that, that has been launched recently was um, the Latinx Gold Open. Right. Um, and more about that. And I feel like a lot of people don't actually understand what the initiative was um, supposed to be bringing forth. So can you like tell us a little bit more, our, our, our audience a little bit more about that? I know that it started, one of the releases was the um, premiere of In the Heights and how that was being pushed forward. So yeah, like how did that idea come about? What is that within the organization? Yeah, I I think a beautiful thing about being a a student of history and culture is that it allows you to really listen and take in information and look at the base case studies. By the way, you know, I guess being true to being a Virgo, (laughs) part of me, I love data, right? So I wanted to know, how do you truly affect change utilizing innovative approaches? And I know, I know it sounds like, like you said, there's anecdotal stuff that's appealing to you and it resonates with people, but I'm, I'm the type of student of history and all of that, that I, I wanna see how things can actually make a difference. So I, I looked at, for example, what's called the concept of forewalling. This is when independent filmmakers actually purchase movie theaters to try to do their own independent runs at, at exhibition, right? We also studied uh, um, going all the way to Pam Peebles, which in the uh, black cinema and space, he was doing exploitation cinema and he was very successful at it. So we studied a lot of black filmmakers and their history. Mm-hmm. And somewhere, this is back in like 15 years ago, I was so taking in this information. And as we were uh, accelerating the development of Latinos and I started getting more involved with Nalif, I was always wondering, how is it, why is it that when it comes to Latino cinema, you don't really see that Latinos go out there and support, obviously, specific big franchise movies. Pre-pandemic, Latinos make up 25% of the box office and our numbers are 20%, right? So I was always curious, why is it that we happen to be the main economic drivers of cinema, of the experience? Because we bring the abuelitas, you know, the strollers and the walkers, the abuelitas and the babies. And sometimes we don't just go see Fast 9, right? We will go see a horror movie with all these people in our families, right? We invest in entertainment, it's our escapism. But I'm like, who's tracking these numbers? And guess what? The NATO, like this is the other NATO, the National Association of Theater or, or, uh, or owners, they keep track of these numbers. Motion Picture Association of America, they keep track of these numbers. So by looking at all those numbers, I was wondering, is who's disrupting this game right now? So we saw that Tyler Perry, a few mm-hmm. other folks in the they were disrupting this game. Or we like, okay, that's great, duly noted. Um, let's keep learning. And then we saw, this amazing organization, Gold House, uh, basically comprised of the top 100 Asian Americans here domestically. And now they're taking this global, by the way. They created a specific campaign of all things modeled on the black model, right? They modeled theirs. What if we actually intentionally affect the data numbers on the box office by instead of buying one ticket at a time, we buy entire theaters, blocks of theaters and, and screens all over the country, specifically in New York and LA. And what if we actually give away the tickets to entertainment journalists, press, influencers, people that can move the needle forward? And that word of mouth is a little bit more like on steroids. So I saw that model many years ago and I, I felt like, how is it that this organization, by the way, in lugar de ser envidioso, I was actually complimentary. I was like, I want to learn from this organization. I felt I need to collaborate with them. So I put them on my hit list. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to get closer and closer to collaborating with this org because I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I want to join what they're doing and amplify it for Latinos. So I felt that 
between Blacks, Asians, and Latinos, we comprise the majority of the box office, to be honest. And I felt if we join forces with this group and we launch, they had the gold open and we decided to join forces and call it the Latinx gold open, where we come together as communities to do the exact same thing, but now doing it as a, all the squads coming together, the Avengers, whatever you want to call it, the dream team, the all-stars. And that's exactly what we're doing. So just in case people are, you know, in the podcast, they're wondering, what do you mean? Well, remember, most people do fundraising this way, right? They focus on like a tamale cell mentality or a car wash. They do one ticket at a time. This disrupts it by saying, no, 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 we're doing theater screenings at a time. And we're committing to pledging hundreds of screens so this movie has legs. So yeah. this is not Latinos and Asians and Blacks flexing our muscles economically, buying out theaters mm -hmm. to turn this type of titles that need to be seen into hits. So there you go. I hope that explains uh, what Annex Gold Open is. Totally. Explains it perfectly. Yeah. I, I think what's amazing is also, you know, unfortunately COVID has made it very difficult to, for people to want to go back into theaters, understandably, yes. of course, right? And this creates that like safe space because I do know some people who, have, who had bought out their own theaters, um, who had promoted it and basically gave opportunities for people to go for the first time to a theater in a year and experience this. And it's funny, I've seen, I've seen that particular film a few times, but I realized like I saw it in the theater and then I came back home and watched it on HBO Max, right? Now mind you, hopefully you will watch it more than one time if the if the if whatever um film it is has both platforms and give the stream as well, give that an extra number. But I love that because even economically, there are people who are in economic hard times, right? So to see people who have the ability and the graciousness to buy out a theater and join up. Right. No, I just want y'all to see it. Like it's kind of like having a family member who goes, "Mira, I'm gonna rent a house. We're gonna throw in a little event, and yeah. I just—it's for y'all. It's for—it's for the yeah. family that could come. That's what I love about it. It felt very interpersonal, very like. It feels know? very community centered, and because it feels community centered, you have like droves of people that want to flock to something like this because they—it's almost like I think from a community standpoint, I think people are like. Oh my God, finally, finally, we, we get like a break. We get a break and we get to go and enjoy this, you know, especially for such an epic project like this. And so I think it's really something that's such a great bonding moment for people in, in that given community. And it's such a wonderful, wonderful way to get people to come out and support. Um, since you're right, I think Catherine nailed it. Like so many people fall on hard times that even the thought of doing anything as if they had expendable income is just a daunting idea. But with something like this, it gives them such like excitement and just a, that little glimmer of hope of like, okay. And, and then with the hope that's in the movie, you just kind of see so much more of that as it and just pushed through the different projects that you support as well as an event like this. So I think it's, phenomenal we have about 100 theaters by the way at least and right now we're on our way to doing 115 plus uh, so we're still doing it even though it's focused on opening box opening weekend um this movie yeah. is gonna uh have legs over time specifically in the heights and we're gonna be focusing on other movies coming out but you know what we wanted to do is just to have the proof of concept and understand the data because mm -hmm. we're learning so much about how people behave when they when they go see movies and the way they influence by word of mouth. It could be viral, 
or it could it's still kind of like old school like if you talk about the movie then people want to know about it and then it spreads so anyway we're still doing it um i think my staff just told me that we might be cracking about 115 theaters we're going to be publishing regular updates on social media and again it's not just for this movie even though we, we you know it's obviously in the height being yeah. a super priority for us um and again we're focusing on the i know it's cultural changing and everything but for us is the business proposition Yes. By the way, if you guys ever pitch a movie, because you probably have or a TV show, they're going to ask you about your comps. You know, most producers are always like, what do you mean? What do you mean comps? In in emerging filmmakers, they don't understand those numbers. They're like comps. What do you mean? Mm -hmm. It's data comparative of what what the type of media that you're pitching. What have they earned before? And the issue with the chicken or the egg with Latino content was that what's your comps? It's like, shit, I don't really have any. I'm having to lean on yeah. comps that from other communities, like mine's like Stand By Me meets Be- Voice in the Hood, maybe. Yeah. And that's like the closest, right? And so you need comps where you can say, well, it's kind of like on my blog meets blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then you have comparative numbers on streaming and also the box office. So that's another reason why we're doing it because to make it easier for more Latinos to say, this movie opened up this number and la la la. And let's say, Catherine, I'm sure that you got a musical in you. If you want to do something similar, you'll understand what it's like for you. How you did know? you know? <laughs> How did you know? You wear it. It's right on your face, your desire to sing. <laughs> it just says, she likes Ellen Menken. <laughs> exactly. So it makes it easier for everybody else to, to work on that success. And love data. the word disruptor. Yes. Right? Like, I love that word. Because, listen, disruptor could sound like, a, no, who wants to disrupt? Like, ellos están conversando problemas. Like, it's, it could come off like that, but it's not. Right. You're just saying, let's just uh, uh, shake the table a little bit, shift it a little bit. Yeah. What I love about what you mean by comps is, to an extent, um, I come from digital. It's what's the sell of what you're actually bringing to the table. 100%. So for, for where I have come from, it was the numbers was the sell, whether it was the followers, whether it was how much, how many views, how many shares, stuff like that. What I love about that is that you're not sitting back and going, let's hope people go see this. You're saying, no, no, no. We're going to take it by the reins and we know people will go see this and we know that people will see this when they feel that sense of insensitiveness. They understand that like, nah, this is for you. And so we, re- meaning like this, the Latinx gold open, this is for you. Yes. This has a much bigger purpose so that it opens a door. And I don't think I, you're, when you say it's inspired by the black community, they have so much that they've done within themselves and there's a model to follow. So I commend the fact that you guys have like noticed that and said we're gonna tip our hat through our own version but always give the credit to where it came from that's awesome we're standing on the shoulder of giants and and we honor that we honor that because somebody had to do that i mean that's the same reason why i get i we always have to honor those folks and and give them the credit because it's going to inspire other communities like for example it's going to get really specific like let's say that you never know if that young kid growing up in Miami, LGBTQ plus with a specific story to tell, they're hoping, am I ever gonna see my story on that big screen, on the little screen, on streaming? Can my voice resonate globally? And I'm gonna give you the short answer, yes. 
It's just a question to demystify the process for them. And that's why Nali functions this way. Our job mostly is to demystify it and make it easier for the next generation to do its job. So we don't wanna just have like one Robert Rodriguez here, an America Ferrara there, a Gina Torres over here. We want to make it so obvious, so, so compelling and, and the cascading effect. So the gold open, I, sometimes I describe it like a dynamic stick that's like, boom, and then the avalanche is coming. We want to do that for a lot of industries. That, that's the disruptive aspect of it. We want to make it so compelling, like, hey, I don't know if you realize studios and decision makers and everybody, instead of like hitting them with a the stick, it's more like hitting them with a voila, the carrot. Here's the carrot. You're leaving at least $10 billion plus on the table. You want to mm-hmm. come and get it? It comes with us. We're a package. All of us, our communities, all of our stories. You guys have a Trojan horse. Yeah, <laughs> we need Trojan horse the whole situation. <laughs> got to. I mean, come on, Latinos. And that's the other thing about Latinos. We got to hold the door open too, right? Yes. There is not one specific person that if they succeed, we all succeed. No, it's a collective. So when I hear of Stephen Canals, Tanya Saracho, uh, you know, Gloria Calderon Kelly, people like that that are getting their deals on, on like pot deals, producers of our deals. I'm thinking we're going to need like 30, 40 of Stephen Canals instead because it, in order to really make a difference. And the other part that a lot of people are not paying attention on the TV side is not the deal, but the size of the deal. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, you know, you, you can tell when they put it on the finger the size of the rock, right? Well, mm-hmm. hello, I can see when they're putting a $5 million you know, proposal versus a hundred to 300 million size deal when it comes to the, the TV side. So I always tell people it's not just the, the number of things that are being given out because this could actually be almost like the, 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 the people surviving on the crumbs from the table that we're not allowed to eat at, right? Yeah. That's mentality that some people take versus no, 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 we're going to build our own table. And if we do deals, it's going to be at this level. So we need more Latinos, Latinx, Latina, all the way across to get 50 million and above top of pot deals in the television space. And on the motion picture side, we need to make sure they also are rewarded for the work that they represent. So again, most people fight over money, but honestly, guys, you know this because you've been talking about these topics of empowerment. The money is there. The resources are there. It's just a question of allocation of that and investment. 100%. Love your your your, um, your statement about the table because <laughs> I uh, with a friend and I were talking about the fact that I don't want to be on anybody else's table. I want to be on a on a separate table right next to it. <laughs> I want that table to be so popping that yeah. they're sitting there going, "Yo, yeah. happening over there." Yeah. I just like pull up a chair, but remember, exactly. this is our table. Welcome. Grab an empanada or a pastel or whatever we got at the table. <laughs> Don't forget, we just had a pandemic. Lavate la mano. It's that. It's that. I feel like the idea when people say build your own table, I'm like, but once the table is built, how you want that table to be seen? Well, you want that table to feel like what family does. You ever yeah. go to somebody's? family party like a, a kickback or a carne asada or something like that you don't know you know one person but the minute you walk in they're like welcome how much that yeah. that feeling is what i feel like that table should be yeah. you know and you're not gonna have that on a built table somewhere else because they have their own version of what theirs is that's right that's right 
it's family style the way we got to do it because we got to share and we got to help each other out. So for example, if I, if Gina gets a, a comedy deal to be, you know, that allows her exactly her own sitcom, guess what? She's going to have Yeah, no, it's going to happen. Believe me, mark my words. And I know yes. this is recorded. You're going to get a deal and you're going to get either a sitcom or a television series where you get to tell your story in the most original way. So what's going to happen to the Gina? She's going to be paired up or maybe, you know, with, with a, uh, a showrunner or maybe herself is going to be a showrunner, right? And then what's going to happen after that? The trickle down effect just from yes. the economics alone of her hiring every writer to be in that room you're going to change their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. We're talking about transformative. You're, you're not just going to be able to feed your family. You're going to potentially feed, feed your grandkids for several generations. Yes. That, that show goes into more syndication and so on and so on. So that's the transformative effect. It's not trickled down old school like economics. This is actually the boats would actually be lifted. Gina succeed, but she's working on the next Gina's under her. So that's yes. the model. It's that's not 100%. Yeah. That's also what I love about like when you brought up um, Gloria and Tanya, yeah. like um, Gloria is a really good example because of the deals that her writers are now getting. Mm -hmm. so they were a writer. And now I believe one that I've heard, her name is slipping my mind and that's no affront to her because she's an amazing writer, had, is an EP on, had two different shows that just kind of like got deals and you're sitting there like it's that opportunity, right? Um, Gloria getting what she got with Norman and and her partnerships with that have opened up all these other avenues that I, I I see what you're saying and I think it's it's a paying it forward but not after I've done it it's right. while I'm doing together it. that's right yeah so you probably notice what what, what I'm wearing I, I'm always rocking stuff by other sister orgs or companies I actually decided to buy this this uh, specific. It's from Macro. Macro is a disruptive company out there. They're killing it. You know, they got M88 on the management side. They also have but Charles King and Stacey King. Like that entire company, follow it. If you don't know who they are, please follow oh. them. Please check mm -hmm. out, uh, uh, you know, Charles King's bio and Stacey King's bio. Talk about disruptive, right? He just, uh, him and his team, they, they also fundraised 100, besides fundraising over 150 million for Macro, right? In order to make it happen, right? This is after him being a, um, a partner at William Morris Endeavor back in the day, he built his own table. And now on the venture capital tech side, they fundraised another, I think, 100 to 110 million venture capital fund to be able to empower folks that are have a tendency to be un underrepresented, like Blacks, Asians, and Latinos. So that's the type of stuff that we're talking about. You notice that yeah. we're not talking about the doom and gloom here. It's yeah. not just empowerment, like new age empowerment. Let's hold this crystal and see what happens. Maybe someday we'll succeed. No, we're talking about real data shit stuff that you can do on the ground by empowering people. That's it's it. Theory. It's, it's, it's putting in the work. It's the, it's because theory is one thing, but when you find right. a way to take that theory right. and actually make it happen, mm -hmm. like I, I, I noticed because my first mind was that's macro, but then I was like, is that macro with Kente cloth on it? Yeah, they actually yeah. have different designs. So, so I, I like that and it goes nice with, uh, I'm rocking it. I bought it in the same alleyway as Gina. So <laughs> I, it matches, it matches. So it, for me is I need to spread the word about this stuff, you know, because you yeah. know what it is? I encounter a lot of filmmakers who they're frustrated and writers and directors because they've been working in their bubble and they're like, man, I'm never going to get my show made. No, everybody's telling me a million no's and where's the yes. I'm like, the yes is there. But what I suggest is creating a team that allows you, kind of like what you've seen it in movies, you've seen it everywhere. 
it always takes a team to move forward. Like you guys are a team right here. It's a beautiful team gathering, doing that podcast, doing it, empowering each other and complimenting each other. Well, in your team, you're going to need your data person. You're going to need the person that's good with the money, like be able to you know, raise funds and so on. You're going to need your, on the data side, you're going to need that person that's like, who's buying the deals? Who loves multicultural? Who's buying like uh, original content by Latinas in East Los Angeles, blah, blah. You can't even get to that granular level. And here's the thing. It actually exists out there. There's a lot of companies that aren't doing that. You yeah. have Campanario. You have like, there's like hundreds of companies that are now popping up. Some of them in different levels. And we're about to disrupt this industry. So that's what, honestly, I'm honored. And by the way, I know that we're very close to coming to an end. To, I wish we could do this for three hours, but uh, no. we got to do the work. But uh, I just wanted to say that's why I'm humbled by the work that we do. We're not perfect. We're only one organization. I, I'm very lucky that I'm part of this one because they, look, they saw my potential when I was a volunteer all the way to now. And they're allowing me. So I feel honored that they're allowing me to, to come up with, ways to innovate this industry, but I'm only one. There's also La Leaf, NHMC, there's like Cape and Gold House. There's so many really good orgs, African-American Folk Critics Association, Define American, you name it, Gold, you know, Black House Foundation. There's so many folks doing the good work that the collective of us is gonna help to transform the industry. So I can't wait for anybody who's wondering, okay, well, that's great about Nalif. Are you guys the non Ultra, right? No, we're helping to lead the charge. But by the way, you know this about me by now, I'm in the trenches. Like right now, as soon as I wrap this podcast, I'm trying to see if I can get three more theaters bought for this weekend for In the Heights. And I'm already trying to figure out what the next gold open is. And I'm also trying to run a media summit, which by the way, so if you don't mind dropping that, uh, the, uh, the media summit is gonna happen July 19th to the 21st. And we wanna invite everybody, all your listeners. And, yes. and, and I'm glad that you mentioned people that maybe lost their jobs or had experienced hard economic times, or maybe they're early in their career. I want to provide hundreds of scholarships for folks to attend the summit if they can afford it. So what does that mean? I'm saying it here on this podcast, but I'm also spreading the word. If there's people that can't afford it, they can apply for a scholarship or an economic waiver. We want you guys at our summit because we're a big tent. That's awesome. I actually got, uh, I was blessed to participate in the summit um, uh, the last time it came around and I had a blast. It was informative. It was wonderful. And I had such a good time. Um, we actually, we, so we do this segment, it's called TikTok of the day. So I'm, um, we, we kind of wanted to bring you in for this uh, and then we'll get all your contact information after and tell people where they can, you know, find you and where to find info on Nalip. But Catherine, I know I usually Catherine prepare the TikTok of the day. So Catherine, what do you got for us today? So I have a question first to start with. Do you have a paper and pen with you? Yeah, I can go. Okay. That's amazing. I, I have one. I always have one by me because jokes come at all times. So this is just a, a really fun TikTok that we found where this girl talks about the ways to get to know one another. And I think it's about finding common ground with people. So we just kind of felt like you could do this in any situation where you're meeting somebody, you're getting to know someone. So it's three questions. Um, are you ready? Yeah. Ah, okay. So write down, and we're, we're going to do it with you. Write down your favorite color. Favorite color. Okay. And then three words to describe that color. I love all of colors equally. Um. <laughs> yeah, see, I, I'm like, I'm thinking about favorite color and I'm like, I have two. Um, okay, so the next one, write down your favorite animal and three words to describe that animal. And then the last one is write down 
a form of water, uh, like your favorite form of water. Okay, so my favorite body of water or type of water? Form. So it could be ocean, rain, any form of water, like from the tap. Okay. <laughs> and three words to describe that water. <sighs> That's okay. Does it count if I love to look at the ocean, but I don't want to go near it? Sure, whatever your favorite is. Okay, because I love to look at it, but uh, things live in the ocean. I don't show in the ocean. And three words for that one. That's a little hard for me. I don't know about you guys. Uh, the words, I'm literally just trying to let my mind just think of whatever three descriptions I can come up with because I tend to overthink. So I'm less, like, I'm trying to get into the habit of just letting my creative brain flow and just be like, all right, whatever three words pop into my feelings. <laughs> all right, and that's it. So um, whenever we're ready, are we okay. ready? Uh, I'll start and then we'll go from to Ben and then to you, Catherine. Yes, so favorite color? Blue. Pink. Green, and how do we describe those? Uh, for me, calm, um, beautiful, and sleepy. Okay. <laughs> Uh, happiness, liveliness, and positivity. Oh, green is earthy, grounded, and mother. Mm. Um, so, though your favorite color is how you see yourself. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm yeah. sleepy. <laughs> okay. So, now the second one animal, favorite animal. Um, ratas, aka ferrets, aka urones. Uh, that's mine. Dragon. Dragon minus a penguin. <laughs> yeah, I like that. But I think it's funny how she said ratas. I know she means ferrets, but yeah. my brain was like, like a New York City ratas. Yeah, ratas. I'm talking about urones, my ferrets, not rata ratas. I call them ratas out of love. They're fun, but fearsome. Yep. Yes. Oh, uh, what are the words for that? For that. The answer? words for my ratas: jumpy, funny, and foodies. That's right. Uh, dragon, uh, majestic, powerful wisdom. Ooh. Uh, mine, penguin, wobbly, cute, and huggable. Mm. Um, and so color is how you see, uh, oh. I mean, sorry, how others see you. So color, wait, color or, or animal? Uh, I'm sorry, guys. Um, animal is how others see you. Oh, they see me as jumpy? Damn. <laughs> I'm wobbly. <laughs> You're huggable. I'm huggable. And yours, I love that it's dragging. Majestic. Majestic. You know what? But first impression, I feel like when I heard majestic, I think of like, uh, uh, you know how like I have highlighter? Yeah. And that's what I'm seeing like right here with the fresh shade for majestic. you. Majestic. So, yeah. <laughs> very majestic. Glow. You're very glowy. Get the J-Lo glow. And it's then you have the whole Quetzalcoatl version of it, which has feathers, which is even more. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then the third one, uh, one body is... of water. water. I said oceans, even though I don't really mess with the ocean. I won't get in, but it's pretty to look at. Rain for me. Rain? <laughs> Mine is really weird. I said condensation, like, you know, like on a body. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Now the three words. Three words for me, vast, overpowering, and intimidating. Mm. Uh, for me, oh, I, I described it in the States. So I, I just called it monsoon because I love that powerful monsoon. Like it just okay. hits you. And then the drizzle, there's the steadiness or also sand aspect of it. And then, of course, the clouds. I know it's water, but it's in a gaseous form. And it's just there. And it's beautiful. And anyway, 
I'm just in love with water. It would oh, rain. Anything beautiful. Okay, well, um, for mine, it was, I said singular source, I, which I guess is two words. I cheated. Um, chilled, like, and that led into refreshing. Okay. And that is how you see love. Oh. Vast, overpowering, and it's, I'm going to call my therapist. <laughs> Steady, powerful, and pretty. Wow, well, I'm going to call my therapist right now, and I'm going to be like, I just want you to know this game told me everything you already told me. Yeah. I could have just played this game. I, yeah. I think that's I think that's an amazing well, the reason why we picked this with you, because we've never played an actual game, I believe, with a, a guest. No. I like it. I felt like the way you get to know someone is asking them these type of things, but then not telling them what it means until after. Sure. There's something in there, right? Like whether you take something from this or not, hopefully the color, the animal, and the body of water has made you go, hmm, I didn't think yeah. I saw myself like that, but yeah. I did. And it makes you want to get to know the person even more, especially in this case. I do, I do especially for both of you, Gina and Catherine. I want to get oh. to know more. We'll have to, we'll have to come, we'll have to have you back on the show. Tell everybody where they can find info on Nalip and uh, anything else you'd like to plug or tell the people about. Definitely. Thank you for that. Thank you for that opportunity. Well, NALIP stands for the National Association of Latino Independent Producers. The best way to check us out is every social media platform has NALIP.org or NALIP underscore ORG. Uh, our website is www.nalip.org. Our, our biggest event that's coming out, I know the, 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 the theater buyouts was huge. Our media summit, which we like to call it the largest and more and and most prestigious gathering of Latinos in media happens July 19th through the 21st. This year is going to remain virtual because we're still trying to figure out, you know, what's going to happen in California, right? Uh, but it look, it's starting to look good. So there might be some hybrid components. So it's July 19th through the 21st. And if people want to learn more, visit the website uh, regarding the scholarships. Again, we want to make it very easy for people to attend. If you're someone who can afford the ticket, awesome. Pay for the ticket because it does help to keep our doors open and the lights on at, at the organization and for us to continue to support filmmakers, writers, producers, and directors. And now we're obviously venturing a lot more into incubators. We're about to announce a couple of things that I might as well plug in because it's important. We uh, received a, uh, a support for women of color to be able to do calling card shorts. And that was announced earlier in the year. We're in the middle of actually interviews right now of all these amazing women of color that have applied with projects that's gonna be their calling card. We're gonna to help to produce it with them. And then we're gonna help them every step of the way. So more news on that coming up soon. We do have a newsletter. So if you wanna keep up with our, you know, what we're doing and you wanna receive regular updates, every week we send out a newsletter, you can sign up on our website. And then lastly, we're about to announce a major incubator too that's related to the producer's pipeline incubator. Because what, what we saw in our data was that we're producing a lot of folks who are the, the sellers, but we need folks who are the buyers, the decision makers. So we're about to launch a major incubator with at least two studios and the Motion Picture Association. And it's gonna focus on the decision makers. How do we get the pipeline for those folks that are gonna be running stuff very soon? So. Uh, thank you so much for, for allowing me to say that about this organization. Of course. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for everything. And I guarantee you guys, uh, the Media Summit is something you want to take part in 100%. 
like I said, I had the pleasure of doing it um, when, it, when it was last coming around. And I, yeah. I attended actually, um, I believe I got the scholarship because yes. I was a very so hard cool. year. That is so I really cool wanted to. And I enjoy, here's the funny thing. Like it was my introduction to the summit, right? I was one really appreciative that it was online because I we're in New York City. Um, so that felt accessible. Number two, that I was like, I want to support, but you know, tenia dinero, like, but yeah. so getting that, I felt so much more appreciative. And then it felt like every different one that I attended, I'm like, yo, just being given this opportunity, that's amazing. So I would encourage people. Yes, ask for, let everybody else know. We want to get the next Catherine. And by the way, if you need an artist coach, everybody, we want to help everybody. Yeah. You Thank you. Trust me, uh, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful event. So if you can't go get thing, information, it's not just about Latinos because I want to make sure people are wondering. Yes. Is it just for Latinos, guys? Uh, we're a big tent. We got our sister communities on lock. We have Asian, you know, Black, like the entire, and even obviously our own community represents every race, right? So I just want to make sure that if you don't see yourself on the screen, or if you don't see yourself, we're working very hard to make sure it's even more inclusive. In addition to the other intersections, which is LGBTQ+, uh, looking at veterans, we have uh, an agreement with the uh, Veterans and Media and Entertainment Group where we give out scholarships to them as well. Same thing for folks with disabilities. We're working very hard to make sure we have subtitles and also on live sessions, we have ASL translators. So we're trying to be more and more accessible each day. So thank you for always, uh, you know, giving us a chance to to allow this community to grow together with us. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you, Gina. Thank you, Catherine. Um, you ben, back. thank you so much for joining us uh, today. We appreciate you coming on the show. Right. I'm sure we'll see each other again, and hopefully, have another oh, yeah. chance to invite you back. Yes. Let's let's have coffee or a drink. You know, let's <laughs> yeah. figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Can't wait. Thanks for right. joining us, Ben. Have a great afternoon. You too. Bye. Take care. Yeah. We are so honored that Ben joined us today. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, what, everything he had to say. I, I love the work that Nalib does and I've loved it since I got involved with the organization last year. Um, so definitely check out the Media Summit. Check out all of their programs because they really are trying to open doors and create change. So definitely check that out. Um, we are at our dear Gina for the show. Um, <clears throat> let's get into this. Dear Gina, what do you do with pictures of a side piece once the situation ship is done? Bam, bam, bam. Do you delete and act like it never existed or keep the memories? By the way, I archived all my images of my ex-husband and I for our child as their memories. But had I not had the baby, I would not have kept any of it. Huh? Hold up. Wait a second. Mm. Wait, hold on. Question. <laughs> yeah, like I have so many questions right now. Before I answer the question... Wait, so you was the side chick of your ex-husband? Like, uh, whose pictures are you keeping? I don't think that's what this is being, what's being asked. So this person has an ex-husband. Okay. Kept all the pictures of the ex-husband because they have a child with the ex-husband, mm -hmm. but only under the guise of the child's memories of yes. their parents. But had they never had the child, they would have thrown the pictures away. Well, that I understand. What I don't understand is... If you were the side, how could you be a side piece to your own husband? No, they're saying that now they have a whole new situation. They Got had you. a side piece. They had a little situationship with somebody. Got you. Okay. Now they don't know what to do with those pictures. I don't know. I think it's completely up to the person. I personally, I delete all pictures of relationships that do not make it. That's me personally. You shred them? 
I'd shred them. I'd throw them out. I would I would poop on them if I could. For some of y'all, I'm sorry. Some of y'all ex-boyfriends, that's what y'all deserve. Poop on your pictures. I do not keep pictures of exes. I'm so sorry. I do not. I don't care how cuddled up we are. I don't care how cute I look in the photo. I don't care how good the memory is. I've thrown out whole albums. I I purge. I purge. Like, you no longer exist in my world. I'm trying to erase you from the past, sir. I cannot see pictures of you. No, 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 no. I need all of your existence to be gone. This is eternal sunshine. Uh, I am I'm, I'm freaking deleting you from existence. I keep nothing. Unless, unless it's like literally like, well, you know, the situation with your kid where it's like, yeah, of course I keep pictures of the dad because, you know, that's my kid's dad. But at this, like, I really, there'd be like one picture of him. I'd be like, that's your dad. You don't have any other pictures? They've all been burned in a terrible accident. I don't know how it happened. In the back, he's not even in the picture. He's no, just I just circle a face that's in the background of like a party. And I'm like, that's your dad. He's right there. That's he's right there. That's your right there. That's that's your dad right there. Well, you mean you got a picture of him? You, that's you have a picture of your dad. It's right there, and that's what what you have right there. Um, yeah, I purge all pictures uh, from relationships. So, um, yeah, I, I I always go with purge. So delete all the pictures, get rid of them. If the relationship didn't work, why you want to relive it? Especially because it's a side piece in a situation. It's not even a relationship. Yeah. But that makes me question. So for me, that makes me question in this situation, the feelings that you had in your side, in your situationship, because mm-hmm. clearly you have like you over the ex-husband. So that's why you like, bye, if it wasn't for the child. Yeah. Right. But when you're ready to get rid of those pictures, it's going to be because those feelings, whatever you have left over will have dissipated. I, though, if asking me, I'm a cancer. <laughs> so not only do I keep pictures, but I got an album book of exes. Wow. Book. And it's all to see me develop. It's like you could just see a timeline. So funny. Of my love life. Of I'm course, sorry. it's about you. It's not about the exes. It's 100%. Here's the thing. But in my defense, I didn't create the book. I had my first little boyfriend, my first ever boyfriend made us a book where he put pictures of us as kids and then put pictures of us dating and then when he left me I was gonna burn the book I was but then I was like those are my baby pictures I look cute when I was 16 so you know what I did instead my revenge the next boyfriend little glue right in the book wow what was our book has become my Catherine book of memories wow she got all her menses in these books all of the, all of y'all are in the book, but not side pieces. They have to have reached a level yes. of importance. Yeah, so if it's, a, if it's a side piece, if it's like, yeah, you don't you don't keep pictures of those. That doesn't exist in a court of law. I'm sorry no. if they ask you about that. That does not exist in a court of law. You have no hard evidence that you were ever with that person. Oh, here's the thing: even in those, because sometimes I do think I look cute in the picture. Um, what I will do is I have I have a habit of taking pictures that are digital sending them to myself in emails. Mm-hmm. So I will send it in an email, put like picture the year date, and then maybe their name, set it and forget it. Because maybe four years from now, I'll be like, yo, I really, I need to show somebody that hairstyle I had. And then I remember <laughs> that picture. You're so ridiculous. <laughs> I got that picture with that hairstyle. 
So again, this is not really about the feelings I have for them. This is about me. So keep the pictures if you look cute of it. But if it's just him, like, why do I see? Why do I see the guy? You know the jail pose with him, like <laughs> just hiding his face, like with the jail pose. If, that if it's something of just him, yeah. So, delete it. Delete it. You don't need that. You don't need that reminder, sis. You went through it. It's you and him, and you, you like you. Crop mean, you, him out. You could crop. Crop exists. Crop him out. Put an emoji over it. <laughs> Put the clown emoji over it. Put the clown. Yes. Put yeah, the there clown. we go. Put the clown emoji. Create a Google folder called Payasos. Yes. <laughs> the new the, the big apple games payasos edition and then i mean big apple games the, what is it the circus big apple circus yeah big big apple circus, big apple circus. payasos and then Uh-oh. just all pictures of the payasos and you look and fly i'm sorry my son has entered the room he is demanding my attention my son with his cuteness um that said we've given you our advice hopefully you can uh uh, fix your situationship and uh, burn the pictures or payasso them. Whatever you got to do. Catherine, tell the lovely people where they can find you. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok is cat, at Catherine G. Mendoza at K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E G. M-E-N-D-O-Z-A and on Twitter it is at Kathy Grace 24 at K-A-T-H-I-E-G-R-A-C-E 24 you guys know you can find me at Gina Brion now on Instagram. I changed it to be official. And at Gbrion80 on the TikTok. Uh, on the TikTok. Uh, watch me uh, on Amazon in the floor is lava. And also keep up with me on AGT. And uh, yeah, you guys know where you can America's find me. You know, talent. America's Got Talent. Yes, I'm sorry. America's Got Talent. I say AGT because, you know, I'm cool. Like kids, I abbreviate things. But America's Got Talent. Like keep up with me on there. Um, you know, I'd love to end the show with a piece of advice my mom gives me to this day. So when life throws a lot at you, handle it one catastrophe at a time. All right, guys. Until next time. Deuces. Bye, everybody. Yeah, do it like that. Yeah. You're the kind of chick that's ready to fight back. Yeah. Looks damn good, but really she type bad. Mm-hmm. Go to sleep, I call him a night cat. Born killer. You a born killer. Mm. Go on, get him. Go on, go on, get him. Mm.